Hello and welcome to The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast. I'm your host, Adam. And I'm Eric. On today's episode, we welcome Vince Grant. Vince has appeared in a number of films and TV shows, including Dreamgirls, Star Trek Enterprise, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, Criminal Minds, The West Wing, Six Feet Under, Crossing Jordan, CSI, Touch, and Standoff. But Seinfeld fans will always remember him for playing Hal Kitzmiller in the classic season eight episode, The Nap. And we're thrilled he can join us today. Thank you for being with us, Vince. Hey, my pleasure. So did you audition for any other roles on Seinfeld before your appearance in The Nap? That's a very good question. I don't know if I did. I remember it was uh, it was so close to home because they were right over there. They were shooting at CBS Radford. And at the time, I lived in Studio City. So <laughs> And when I went on my audition, I, the day I did it was a Saturday. But but for previous auditions, I don't think this might have been my first. It might have been my first and my last. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the audition like for that episode? It was a packed room. It wasn't just, you know, Jerry and a couple of writers. I remember walking in there and thinking, man, there's a lot of people here. But, you know, you go in there, you got your sides and you do the best you can do. And, you know, it's obviously, you know, had had some some nerves about it. But that's that's a good sign. You know, if I didn't have any nerves, then I would have not cared. And I clearly cared. But it was it was a packed room. And, and, you know, I, I look back on it now and I think I bet Larry David was there. And yet. At the time, I didn't even know who Larry David was. Um, I should have, and nor did I ever see Larry David on the set. So I'm sure he was up there with the writers constantly, you know, coming up with with uh, more ideas for more episodes. But so I look back at it and go, ah, you know, I could have been in the same room with Larry David. But uh, but at least Jerry was there and the director. Yeah, well, that was actually the first season that Larry wasn't on the show, but he did come back for the first time to play Steinbrenner in that episode. Oh, that's right. That's right. When he, when he tells George, when he tells him about the candy bars and then the girly magazines, and he kind of says something like, like, um, oh, that's just uh, that's just empty calories and male curiosity. Hey, eh, George. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, just, just having so much fun writing it for themselves. You just know they're just having a blast doing that. Empty oh, calories definitely. and male curiosity. <laughs> He's right. So, who comes up with these with those words? Just fantastic. I mean, <laughs> yeah. George Steinbrenner. There you go. <laughs> so, can you take us through what your first day was like when you arrived on the set? Well, the first day was actually the table read on Sunday. Now, I auditioned on Saturday, and which is not common, but you know it happens. And lo and behold, I think. I think I heard within a fairly short period of time that I got it. And and so, wow, great. And they said, OK, there's a table read tomorrow. They're going to deliver a script. So I'm looking for the script. Sure enough, they deliver it. And and back in that day, there was no you know, they didn't email scripts. They would actually give you a physical script that would show up on your door. So there's the script. I look it over. You know, I'm, I'm making my marks on it and everything show up for the table read. It may be, I don't know, noon, something like that. I get over there. I, I, you know, we all do what we are going to do. We do our, our table read. And then I realized nobody laughed at what I did. And then I started getting this very uneasy feeling about, God, maybe, maybe this was, oh, maybe I messed it up somehow. Or, uh. and, and I had been the lucky guy who on other jobs had been the one that they bring in somebody at the last minute. Because they say, we're replacing this guy. Can you come in in like, you know, tomorrow morning at eight o'clock? And you say, sure, sure, I'll be there. So I know what it's like to be the guy who is the spare tire and you come in and do it. But all of a sudden I got this feeling of like, oh, God, I'm going to get one of those phone calls from my agent saying, Vince, I'm so sorry. I hate to tell you this, but, you know, one of those. But no telephone call, no messages, nothing like that. Okay. But then I thought, you know, there's still a chance that I could get fired. Um, <laughs> you always got to think positively. And so, 
so for Monday for the shoot, I wake up at like 6 a.m. because I'm I'm still so nervous. And lo and behold, there's a script, right, leaning against my front door. I thought, well, okay, good, good. And, you know, I show up and I, I do whatever I do. And there's still that part of me that goes, well, yeah, but we only shot that much stuff on Monday. They could still replace me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. um, yeah, got to stay positive. Got to stay Got to stay optimistic. And (laughs) and so the first day might have been walking in the New York City with with Julia um, talking about stuffed crust pizza and (laughs) and how it's just more cheese and she likes it. And um, (laughs) so by Tuesday morning, I was still pretty nervous about, you know, am I going to get that call? And, And again, no call came. But, you know, and Tuesday morning you know, six o'clock or whenever it was, seven in the morning, there's a script leaning against my front door. Um, so once I got through the second day, then I felt pretty confident that even if they wanted to fire me, they couldn't afford to because they'd already <laughs> shot all this other stuff, you know. Um, and, and in that season, we were doing, I would imagine most of the episodes were single camera. So there was no, you know, doing it live in front of an audience, which which obviously is at this point, you know, doing it in front of a live audience is kind of a dinosaur. I don't even know if anybody does that anymore, but maybe they do. Now, you had mentioned that you weren't getting laughs initially at the table read. So did you yeah. make any changes on your own to the character or did anyone make any suggestions to you? And, and you know, thinking back on it, they really didn't, which which also kind of confused me. But it shouldn't have because I, I see it in retrospect and I was simply doing what was really written. And what was written now that I look at it was really just he's the straight guy. He's he's just the straight man so that anybody he talks with is going to be funny. And so it was really only Michael and, and Julia that I, I acted with. And Jerry was there to basically be the second director. I think that's, you know, if anything else, he was the first director. Andy Ackerman was technically the director, but, you know, when your name is Seinfeld and it's on the show and you're the executive producer along with a couple other EPs, you know, who really is the director? Um, (laughs) So, you know, it was I I didn't get any notes as far as, you know, like prior to that or like, you know, how or Vince, you know, as how you have to blah, blah, blah. I didn't really get any of that. It was just maybe after a certain take, they would say do it this and this and this way. But it was never anything like, wow, you're really screwing this one up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were discussing that before about how you're the straight man. And it's interesting because at this point, a lot of Elaine's boyfriends have been kind of wacky or a little bit, you know, had some sort of quirk with them. But you're very straight to the point that you're also very serious. Like, you don't oh, quite yeah. know how to take a joke or, you know, <laughs> like that scene, like you were saying, when you're with Elaine talking about the stuffed crust pizza right after that, you run into Kramer and they're kind of joking back and forth. Like, I'll get your apartment key back to you as soon as I can. Ooh, baby. And you just look <laughs> horrified. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> and and now that like... I think of it, you know, in the audition on, on Saturday, I think there was – uh, when I did a, a certain take on a scene, there was maybe a time where either Jerry or Andy said to me, OK, do it this time. But like there's no emotion at all. Just just say it. Just say it. And so I went and and did just that. So I think that's in a lot of ways, that's what they wanted. So when I say, you know, something like like it's it's just when we talk about pizza and it's like it's just more cheese. It's really just that disdain of like who the hell would put more cheese on something that's laden with cheese. So, yeah, it was it was absolutely the straight man. But that was the quirk. The quirk was was this guy who, you know, buys all his furniture at an ergonomic store and is is very straightforward and is but is thoughtful enough to say, I want you to be sleeping on a mattress that's ergonomic because you'll see the difference. (laughs) It's true. But he doesn't understand the lumbar yard pun, it seems. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> he clearly doesn't know Elaine's height either. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which, of course, you know, she just loves that. 5'10", about 120. Um, oh, yeah. It was, 
you know, it was just, you know, it was it was goofy. It's it's the same way that they were able to do, you know, a show about nothing for eight years or however long they did it. Um, they just had had some funny people and and, uh, you know, it was it was uh, a special little situation they had. Yeah. And um, like we said, you had a bunch of scenes with Julia in this episode. Can you describe what it was like performing with her? Um, she was at the time uh, pregnant, not with Henry, her first son, but with Charlie, her second son. Not that right. she told me that he would be named Charlie. I mean, you know, maybe she and Brad didn't even know what they would name. And if they were, they weren't going to give it to some guest star on on Seinfeld and, you know, have that leak out. But they were having to do some of the standard stuff that actresses often do, you know, carry the coat in front of you, stand in front of the countertop and and stuff like that. Um, But that said, her mood was just great. I mean, she was there. She's a professional. So she shows up and and she knows what she's had. You know, she's been doing the show for, you know, at that point, probably six or seven years. And she knows the drill. And so um, she was a joy. I remember her telling, talking once. I think we were both in the makeup chair and and she was talking about how Henry was sometimes getting a little irritable because he would say things like, Mom, you should take me to get ice cream. And she would say, no, Henry, we're not going to go get ice cream. You know, that was a treat. And and Henry was just thinking, well, you know, and I think he's all of like four or five years old. And he's just thinking, oh, come on, Mom, we should go get ice cream. No, we're not going to get ice cream. But But just the <laughs> standard stuff that that all of us parents, um, I mean, I had a son at the time. I mean, I still have the son, but he was at the time, I think maybe two and a half years old, something like that. So I knew a little bit about that, but at the same time, you know, five-year-olds and two and a half year olds are different. She was just sharp. She knew what she was doing. She's one of those people that when you call her in, you know, it wasn't admittedly, there wasn't a lot of chit chat per se. I mean, that thing that she was telling me about Henry was probably more memorable than than most things but you know also she was pregnant man she just wanted to probably like after filming every single scene she probably thought i gotta go lay down yeah and she had a lot of physical scenes in that episode i mean when she's moving the mattress she's just incredible yeah yeah and one of the guys who moves the mattress in there is named angelo i forget angelo's last name but i knew angelo from an improv group that we used to be in so when I saw Angelo on the set, I was like, hey, man, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> oh. So that was cool to to be able to see him and and uh, just reconnect as, as you know, actors sometimes do when they haven't seen each other in a long time. You're probably happy that you saw each other working, too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like we mentioned, you also had some great scenes with Michael Richards in this episode. Uh, what was your experience like working with him? He was a joy. And. You know, what he did with Kramer, you know, people loved it because there was that wackiness to the whole thing. But, you know, when the cameras were off, he was just a nice guy who wanted to be there and um, wanted to make sure that every scene was going to be, you know, the best scene it could be. You know, he would certainly bounce things off of Andy or if Jerry was there. But. For the most part, we we were just up there just having fun on, you know, a theoretical dock on the East River, which, of course, was inside the uh, the CBS Radford uh, studios. And we would just, you know, jump off. Uh, it seems like there was there was an old guy at the very end who jumps off. It was almost like he was Larry Bud Melman, but it wasn't. But it was that kind of a character who jumps off. And, and then when Michael says, he just sunk like a stone, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, so we're like, wow, uh, what are we going to have to do here? Um, but Michael was a joy. And I remember we shot that scene on the last day I was working and I just told him, I said, man, all my friends are going to be jealous of me because they're going to know that I worked with you. And for that, I am eternally grateful. And he was he was very, you know, he was very humble. And he said, oh, I'm 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 glad that that's the way, you know, uh, your friends feel about me. <laughs> but um, but he was he he was just he was a champion. He was a joy. He just wanted the scene to be funny. Did you, Julie or Michael, improvise anything during rehearsals that made it into the episode? 
not that I know of, but part of how he moved and spoke was a bit of an improv, even if he was saying what was written, you know, just just the way he could come into that room and he comes into Jerry's apartment so many times and the stuff that he would do. I'm sure they didn't write it that way, but they knew that Michael could do whatever he was going to do and it would very likely be very funny. So um, I don't remember anything specifically that was improvised, but, you know, it's Michael Richards. So you just stay on your toes and and, you know, you react accordingly, you know, keep it real, keep it truthful. Did you watch them rehearse the scenes like even the scenes you weren't in, like in Jerry's apartment or anything like that? I saw I mean, I heard those obviously in the table read and I could have seen that in the script. And if they were shooting stuff, you know, and that I still had to stay around to shoot something else, I would watch it. Um, the guy who was the carpenter, Stephen Lee, a sweet guy. I think I bumped into him, you know, somewhere in in, you know, in L.A., probably at auditions or who knows what. But Stephen and I were talking, waiting around for something to happen. And then George Shapiro, one of the the EPs, walks up to us and says, well, look at this. It's Grant and Lee, <laughs> which was true, which was true. But then George went on to, to say something that I've really never forgotten. He says, look, we all know this is a special situation. We're not going to have a show like this again. So we're just enjoying it for as long as it makes sense to enjoy. And we're appreciating it because, you know, as he said, this is not going to happen again. And he was right. You know, to get a show like that, it's like Lucille Ball saying, oh, you know, <laughs> I'm going to get a show like I Love Lucy. She never had a show like I Love Lucy again. She had other shows and she worked. Uh, you know, she was the biggest show, I think, of the 1950s. And I feel like it was a special experience for me because to me, Seinfeld was the I Love Lucy of the 1990s. Oh, absolutely. It was. And are you thinking that as you're filming your scenes? I mean, are you taking it all in or? I don't think while I'm filming it, I'm thinking, hey, this is like I Love Lucy of the 1990s. But I think I'm appreciating the fact that I even have the experience that, you know, that I can work with uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, that I can work with Michael Richards. We're both actors and we're both being filmed in the scene. That was cool. But it was also a little nerve wracking because, you know, they set the bar pretty high. But I wasn't thinking, you know, in the historical bigger picture. I was just thinking, you know, I don't want to screw this up and I want to I want to have this uh, be the best it can be. And I want to and I want to make sure this goes on my reel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actors are always thinking that it's sort of like, oh, well, I don't know if I can I can show this. I wonder if I can show this before it airs or, you know, whatever. So if we get back to some of the other scenes that you were in. Your first scene was with Julia in the park. You're just kind of walking around. Where did you shoot that scene? We shot it at uh, CBS Radford. It was just somewhere in the Radford lot to try to make it look like a, a Central Park scene. Um, I think they might, I forget exactly, you know, in my head, my uh, the memory, if they put up one of those, you know, those stone, those brownstone walls that you see around Central Park, uh, West and East, but more importantly, it was just sort of this pastoral feeling. And the fun thing about that scene was as we walked along and then we, you know, finished the scene and then Jerry was right there again, co-directing or maybe even more directing than Andy. And and he would be talking with the writers and say, hold on one second. And then they would go and there was two other writers and, and I should remember their names, but I don't. And then he would go talk to them and then he would say, OK, do the scene the same way, except that when she says this, you'll say this. All right. Just just try that. And those were the times where we would just improvise what the writers were coming up to say, oh, would this be funny? Look, let's have Hal say this. Let's see if this is funny. Um, like the whole thing about Twinkies when they, they you know, when I tell them, it's like, do you know that Twinkies are, are just a substance? They're not baked. Um, <laughs> and they're not cooked. <laughs> you know, and then, and then Julia's reaction to that. You know, I, I think what she says, what it's like, well, I love Twinkies or something, you know, it's like she doesn't care, you know, and, and it's disturbing to me that 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 they trick people by thinking that they bake Twinkies and and it's just a substance. And, and Julia just, you know, 
in, in perfect fashion, you know, basically says, I don't care. I love them. I love Twinkies. Yeah, she's like, I don't care. They're delicious. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so those were that, that was actually very fun to be able to do that, to have Jerry come up and, and tell us, OK, try this. Now say this and then just go back and do it again and, and try this. And, you know, so that was fun. Now, Twinkies aren't cooked. It looks cooked. It's dark on the bottom. That's just the way it is. It's a substance. Well, I don't care. They're delicious. You want to sit down? Oh, I don't sit on park benches. They're very bad for the back. Really? I threw my back out about 15 years ago, ever since I've been very careful. I buy all my furniture at an ergonomic store. Oh, those places have the stupidest names, like, uh, like back in business or good vertebrations. Not this one. It's called the lumbar yard. And we talked about it a little bit, but that scene on the river with Michael Richards, when you guys are on the dock and people are jumping off into the water, what are they jumping off into there? Is there like a tank? No, no, it was it was just a pad. Um, like when the older man jumps into it, he, he pretty much just um, he, he jumped onto a very soft pad um, to make it look like he could go into the water. But I think it, for one of those scenes for Michael and I was not there, I think they might have gone up to a tank at Universal and shot something where he was, you know, floundering in the water or, you know, all these people were in the water and he's he's getting miffed that all these people are out there and he's just trying to get a swim in, you know, <laughs> uh, but I, that one they didn't film on CBS Radford. But I, I think there was a tank up at Universal. and I think they used they used that one. But for the one that we were at when we were just up on the dock talking about, you know, hey, you know, my chiropractor loves this and he's now he's recommending all of his clients to come out and do it. Um, you know, which was not what what Michael wanted to to hear because this was like his special thing, but it was it was just a pad down there that the that the guy jumped onto. Hey, Kramer, what's going on? I told my chiropractor how great swimming in the river made my back feel. He recommended it to all his patients. Step aside. just sunk like a stone didn't you? you have a favorite scene that you were in actually what was really fun was the scene where we're in the diner and i say oh hey no 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 i got you that bed because because you deserve it you know uh you should you should be sleeping on an ergonomic mattress and you know i, I think i estimated your height you're about what about 510 maybe 120 pounds and <laughs> and so she loves that one but it was it was just this ease of this character, you know, that Elaine is like, wow, wow, this yeah, guy right. really digs me, you know, and um, that was fun. You know, working with Michael was fun that the scene up on the dock was was just a blast just to be able to, you know, talk to him and work with our our wetsuits and stuff. Um, you know, I wasn't able to work with um, Jerry or with George because obviously I wasn't written in those scenes, but the fact that Jerry was directing everything or directing so much, uh, I really did feel like like I was able to, uh, you know, work with Jerry. And I, I remember the last day of shooting when I was finally wrapped and done and I came up to Jerry and I just wanted to make sure that he knew. And that was I came up to him and I said, hey, uh, Jerry, thank you so much for having me in your castle. Um, it has been it has been my pleasure to work in in this castle. And I wish you more good luck and he you know he was he was very you know easy going about the whole thing and and modest and he said well yeah it was fun it was good I'm glad you were able to do it but you know george he cracked me up i remember that scene where where he's in jerry's finished apartment and and that mega thing is is in there in the kitchen and and he has that one line where he says i am feeling very uneasy or something like that i'm feeling very uncomfortable <laughs> oh no, it's this place. I'm very uncomfortable here. Yeah. It's it, it's one of these things where you where you realize, you know, when Jerry tells him it's like just finish it. Just finish it. Okay. <laughs> Watch out. There's a reason he says, Do you want two screws or three screws? Um <laughs> you know, you gotta you gotta be specific about certain things. So that was a funny segment that they had. Oh, yeah. I love all their reactions to the kitchen. Like Kramer's like, oh, man, I'm on the wrong floor again. <laughs> yeah. 
right? Yes, it and, is and, very you know, I obtrusive. Haven't seen, I haven't seen that full episode in so long. I should I should watch that. I suppose I I really should have watched it before this podcast, but um, but it would be fun just to kind of look back and just look at some of those things. Um, you know, the the whole idea of him trying to take a nap underneath his desk, and then and then somehow this you know having to call in this robot and you know and cut him out and you know it's just it's this is what you get oh, with a show about nothing right it's so george though it's like he, he's just trying to find a way to avoid work at all costs and get some sleep and at the end he ends up having a robot saw his desk in half yeah <laughs> that's just how it works for him <laughs> um yeah it, it, george all the all the things that um, there's so many memorable things, like the day that he saves the what is it, the dolphin or the whale? Whale. <laughs> the whale. And he tells the story when he's about to tell the story, and he says, he says, the sea was angry that day, my friend. Um, you know, I'm sure when they wrote that, you know, who knows if if uh, Jason came up with that or the the writers were there. I bet you the writers probably put it in, but who knows? It, it was still it was perfect. It was it was perfect to have him say that, like. Uh, there was a little clip that I, I've seen sometimes these little clips where George realizes I've got to do the opposite when Jerry tells him, you know, this, you should do the opposite of what you always do. And he says, I should do the opposite. And he goes up to the beautiful woman who's in who's in the diner there and says, I can't help but notice that that you are looking over here, you know, and and suddenly he just has the confidence to say I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. You know? <laughs> and she's still interested. And she um, loves it. Yeah. You know, the, the George Costanza, the the enigma that is George Costanza. Yes. <laughs> the many I love sides, how, the many wounds of George Costanza. <laughs> and I love how Jerry's just having fun with it. He's like, if every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of Jason, even though you didn't have any scenes with him, did you get to interact with him at all on the set? There was at least one day where I came up to him and uh, told him, I think we met briefly once before because you were at the time was my wife, but now is my ex-wife. Uh, I think you worked with her on, I forget what project it was. He said, Oh yeah, yeah. I remember her. But other than that, I mean, he was always, he was always very nice. He was very friendly. Nobody was in any way, you know, mean to me or rude to me or pulled in any attitude. Uh, I remember one time there was a, a wardrobe person who had put some stuff out, uh, on a rack or whatever, and and this was the the first, I think this might have been the day of the table read, and they needed to do some some wardrobe fittings and stuff, and and it was in one of the rooms inside the the soundstage, which again they would never have a live audience, but they, they would shoot all that stuff, and I said you know just very offhandedly I said is this is this my dressing room, and <laughs> she looked at me with this look and she goes. No, this is Jerry's dressing room. <laughs> but, but I knew that Jerry had a different dressing room up, you know, when you go outside of, of stage nine and then you would walk down about 100 feet. He had his other dressing room up on the second floor, as did, I think, you know, Julia or, or Michael or somebody else. Maybe all of them did. Um, but it was just his on stage dressing room you know that they use probably back when they were doing filming in front of a live audience now and again and they needed that but it was just funny how she said no this is this is jerry's room <laughs> you know kind of like we're just using it for this fitting but we're not gonna let you have it um but but it wasn't it, it didn't feel rude it just kind of felt like oh wow he he thought that this might have been his room <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I was in a trailer or something. I didn't care. You know, it, was, it all worked. Did you have any scenes or dialogue that got cut from the episode? I think that was the surprising thing. I don't think there was. And I was, and I, man, I've been in so many things where you go, oh man, they cut that whole scene with, you know, whatever. Uh, there was one in particular I was telling somebody about the other day where it was a, a an episode of ER that I had done. And looking back on it, I should have seen the writing on the wall, but it was a 72-page script. Now, most scripts are like around 55, 56, maybe 57 pages. And this script was 72 pages, right? And so when I finally am watching it that, you know, whatever night it aired, and I see that basically there's a tiny little snippet of it, I was just horrified. You know, I told people, hey, man, watch me. I'm going to be on ER. And, you know. 
and you realize basically I'm really not an ER. Unfortunately, uh, mm-hmm. they're they're going to keep me in it, and you know, <laughs> I ended up getting some you know residuals from it, but they didn't cut me out of it. But oh my God, did they cut most everything out of it? So I wasn't expecting everything to show up, but I think that that speaks to the writers and to Jerry and the fact that that this was you know a, a season that they had had plenty of seasons before, so they knew time is money and you don't waste it shooting something that. Eh, maybe you'll cut. Sure. I'm sure there was stuff that they cut um, on all kinds of things from time to time. But I don't think they cut anything. But now it makes me want to go back and look through my original script to see if, you know, there was some stuff like, oh, my God, that's right. They cut that whole thing, you know, or, <laughs> you know, maybe Elaine and I did something or said something. But off the top of my head, I don't think they did. And I was I was pleasantly surprised. What I probably need to do is watch the episode again and read the script and then see what the differences are and then see how much of it, like with, you know, like that Twinkie line when I'm walking with Julia in Central Park and uh, Jerry came up and said, just, you know, here, here's the line about Twinkies. And so, you know, to, to look at that one and to see if that was originally in the script, I don't think it was. I think they were just the writers who were just having a bunch of fun back there saying, what if, what if Hal says that he's upset about, you know, this whole thing with Twinkies? You know, just, <laughs> just subtly, quietly, evenly, you know, I, I'm going to have to break something to you. But did you know that Twinkies aren't baked? It's just the substance, <laughs> you know, and, and just to see just how they had fun doing it, because, you know, we get to be like their little Barbie and Ken dolls. And they have us do things like, what if we have Ken say this and then Barbie will say this. And then they kind of go, oh, this is funny because Ken and Barbie having an argument about, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, um, which is perfect uh, for a show about nothing. So who did you bond with the most on the set? I think just because I worked with her most, I think it was Julia. But um, but like I said, everybody I worked with, whether it was hair, makeup whether it was um, Andy, you know, Andy was always, you know, directors are always going to be busy. You're not going to be doing a whole lot of chatting with a director on a a half hour sitcom like that, just because they're just, they're always just moving on. They're always moving on. And and the same thing for Jerry. I think, I I don't know this for a fact, but I think that Jerry's a bit of a workaholic. I think he, he goes and goes and goes. And, and for him not to be working on some level, I think would drive, him crazy. I think he loves his family, his kids, and I, I, I think he loves all that. But I think deep down, he's just got to be working. He has all the money he needs. It's not about the money. He's just got to keep going. But that speaks to why he, you know, partly why he was so successful. He's an extraordinary observer. You know, that's what got him to be the funny guy that he was, because he, he would observe things and say, this doesn't make sense. If someone's done doing this and this, why would we ever do that? You know, um, so he was a great observer, but I think he was also he was also one to take notes. He was just working all the time. He would write things down. I remember what what the heck did I see him in? Maybe it was uh, comedians in cars getting coffee, and he was talking with another comedian who just had papers all over the place, and and he he was he was there to show him like a yellow legal pad saying, look, you got to write all this stuff down on a legal pad. You, you got to put some more in organization here because this is <laughs> you, you can't have this. And I forget who the comedian was, but he was he was just kind of looking at him like, I don't know how you function. Right. <laughs> uh, what actor were you most impressed with on Seinfeld? Well, I loved what Michael Richards did because he would just be this crazy Cosmo Kramer guy. He was just the guy that could make very little funny. But I think as broad a character that he was, he kept it pretty truthful. You know, if he was if he said he had concerns about something as Kramer, you realize that he was very concerned about this, He, you know, and he had to do something about it. Or if he had a great idea, whether it was, you know, the bro uh, and he was going to make some money off of that, uh, or, or just the, the commitment that he had to to work in a deli, but then to take Festivus off because that's Festivus and he's taking it off. Um, <laughs> right. But he, he does it with commitment. And that was always impressive to me. Um, I mean, they're all all four of them 
were very talented. And and Jerry would probably be the first one to say, you know, he's not an actor. I, I think he said it many times. I'm not I'm not acting. I'm Jerry Seinfeld. I go out there and I just do my best to keep from cracking up so that we can use the take. But he wasn't trying to be anything other than this guy, Jerry Seinfeld. He just was trying to do a funny version of, of Jerry Seinfeld. But that said, he's, you know, he's a monument to comedy. Do you have a favorite memory from your time on the show? You know, just those even a couple of those snippets of conversation that I spoke about. I loved talking with Michael in there at the end just to say, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to be all my all my actor friends are going to be so envious. And even the ones that aren't actors are going to be envious that I was able to work with you and, and to work on this show. That was nice. And, and even just hearing, you know, Julia, while she was in the chair talking about how, you know, her five year old son, Henry, is being a bit of a, a little bit of a spoiled kid because, you know, he wants ice cream and she's not going to give him ice cream. And, you know, he thinks like so many kids, it's like, well, we did it once. We should just do it again. It's like, well, it's like a dog. If you give him a, you know, a nice piece of bacon or something, it's like, where's the bacon? Come on, give me the bacon. Um, so, and, and, you know, even just saying goodbye to Jerry and how, and, you know, Jerry was nice enough at that point, the producers would do a, a rap, you know, they would do the rap party. Uh, and this that particular year, they did the rap party on the Santa Monica Pier. And so I went there with uh, my now ex-wife and, and then a couple other. I think there was another friend that went with this whose husband was working, but she was going sort of in his place. Uh, and then that was Brian Cranston, a mutual friend who, who played oh, Watley. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and and so uh, this was Brian Cranston's wife, Robin Dearden. And so she went with us and we just, you know, we just went to the pier and hung out. And uh, it was just nice to bump into some of the people that had had worked on that episode. But then also to see other people who you could go run into and so, oh, hey, man, I didn't know you did an episode. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know you did an episode. <laughs> um, right. As, as my ex-wife said, it now appears that I am the only one who has not done an episode of Seinfeld. Um, but she, of course, was was not being accurate because there was plenty of people that would have loved to have done an episode. And uh, but, you know, that's that's the life of an actor. I got close to getting a couple of uh, maybe some work on on Mad Men, but I was never able to get a part on Mad Men. And I wish it would have worked out, but it didn't, because that would have been really cool um, show to to have done and worked on. But, you know, these things come, these things go. Just be grateful for what you have. So I'm I'm grateful for for Seinfeld. And sure, I wish I would have done an episode of Mad Men, but at least I got to audition for it a couple of times. Hey, that's something. And being in Seinfeld, being a part of that lexicon, that world is just <laughs> so, so unique. It's it really is. And it's we always say it doesn't matter if a person was in one episode or one scene or had one line or was just in the background. It doesn't matter. They were an important part of Seinfeld. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that my friend Angelo feels that way, just being able to be the guy who delivers the mattress with his partner. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because it really was. It was. It, anytime I've told people about that, they went, whoa, you did Seinfeld? Which episode? And the, I just love how they do that. Which episode? Kind of like, right. I'm pretty good at remembering episodes. Which one? Um and some of them know it and they absolutely go, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, they're, they're, you're the guy who gives the mattress, you know. And then there's other ones where they go, well, I remember George under the desk, but I'll have to watch that again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is their polite way of saying, I don't remember you. Uh, right. But it's okay. You know, I'm, I'm not offended. All right. So before we let you go, we're just going to get into our final segment. It's called This, That, and the Other. Basically, we just ask you a question and the first thing that comes to mind, you let us know. Okay. So first question, what role or performance are you proudest of? I did an episode of Criminal Minds. The episode was called Doubt. It was a really great experience because I was able to work with Mandy Patinkin for the second time. I'd worked with him before um, on a play up in New Rochelle, New York, when I was living in New York. And so that was special. Um because I was able to work this one scene with Mandy that really was written as like five different scenes, but they were intercut. But the way the director shot it, she just said, you know, we should just shoot this all at once. 
And I said, that's great. That's fine with me. And it was it was a pretty intense scene. He was trying to interrogate me and they didn't have any evidence, any physical evidence, but they brought me in, you know, and then uh, we're in the middle of shooting it. And there's, uh, you know, Thomas Gibson is behind the mirror and uh, Paget was back there watching the whole thing. And then she comes up to me, you know, during a break in, in shooting, she gives me this hug and she says really quietly, Mandy must really respect you because he never seems to work quite like this with anybody, you know, with very few people. <laughs> I was, I was utterly flattered, you know, but, but she could spot it. There was something about it, but it was such a good scene. When, when Mandy gets into the meat and bones of acting, he is so good. Uh, that, that play that I spoke of that I did years ago in, uh, we rehearsed in New York city, but we ended up shooting it, not shooting it, but actually doing a play live up in New Rochelle. So we'd, you know, a lot of times I'd take the train up there and whatnot. But I remember rehearsing one day in New York. And it's just a rehearsal. But I'm telling you, I got chills, you know, on the back of my neck, just goosebumps because it was so electric. It was so exciting. You know, Mandy is, like I said, when he really puts himself into it, man, he is, he is 100% committed. So that episode that I did, with Criminal Minds, working with Mandy. Um, I'm very proud of that one, but I also did a film uh, years ago called French Exit, in which I played this British guy named Charles Oliver. And that was one I did with Johnny, Jonathan Silverman and uh, Machen Amick. And that was, that was a real joy. That was a real treat to be able to do that one. So you know, there's been a lot of jobs that you've done that, you know, you kind of go, well, hey, I was glad to have it. And, you know, it's not anything that I would do other than maybe have something to put on my reel, but it wasn't anything special. But, you know, the note, there's the jobs that you do that you go, wow, that was special. What is something people don't know about you? You know, in this day and age with the Internet, there's uh, astoundingly, horrifyingly, you have uh, little secrets about one's life. Maybe they don't know how much I love jazz from the 1950s and 60s. Just people who who really changed the music scene at the time and, and really have changed it even up now because everything builds on everything else. Um, you know, George Gershwin changed music the same way that, that Louis Armstrong changed music. But Miles Davis and, and John Coltrane and guys like, like Stan Getz and, and Dave Brubeck they really shaped music. Cannonball Adderley, what uh, a saxophonist he was. Just some some great, great musicians that I, I still appreciate. And, uh, you know, to me, Kind of Blue from 1959 is so special to me. I don't play it unless I really can listen to it. It's like it's it's almost like it's sacred music. You don't play it just like background music. You listen to it because it's so special. You know, what they did in those sessions in 1959, I think it was released maybe, I want to say sometime in October of 1959, was just, uh, you know, it, it's the Mount Everest of jazz albums. <laughs> and maybe something that people wouldn't know about me because they, you know, how would they know about it unless they personally, but I just love my kids so much. Um, you know, my, my son is 26 and my daughter's 21 and, and I'm proud of both of them. Um, he's a musician. She's uh, she's a junior at UCLA and they're just great people. And I'm, I'm so lucky to have them. And uh, I just love them dearly. And, you know, anytime I can get with them, well, I take it because that's that's the, the best thing in life. You know, it's you know, I've had a lot of joy in acting. But in the end, you know, as far as what makes things matter the most, it's it's the people you, you love. And uh, I love those kids. That's nice. It's wonderful. Yeah. What is your favorite film? Uh, God, that is, that is so hard. But I mean, just off the top of my head, it probably is The Godfather one. But there's so many good films, you know, and, and, and obviously Godfather one and two are just, you know, again, those are pinnacles of filmmaking. But, you know, maybe lesser known films that I think really mattered. And as I've told people, the 1946 film, The Best Years of Our Lives, I think it was kind of 
amazing that that film was even made because you got to remember 1946 this is still a lot of post-war you know hey we won the war we won the war kind of thing and that's really in its own way an anti-war film it's a way of saying look what happens to some guys when they come back and they're not who they were before they left and let's look at what happens and how they deal with life and that is it's really tremendous. My my son even has a tattoo on his arm that says elbows. And you kind of go, well, what are you talking about? Because there's a line in there where the character of Homer, who has indeed lost both of his hands, and he was an actual sailor who had lost both of his hands. And he's talking to his girlfriend, Wilma, who he doesn't think is going to want to be around him. I mean, who, who the hell wants to marry a guy who doesn't have any hands? But they're looking at his prosthetics. And, you know, these are prosthetics from 1946. So they're, they're, they're hooks, you know. And then he says to her, um, I'm lucky. I've got elbows. A lot of the fellas don't have elbows. And the fact that my son knew that that was an important line in the movie, because it really it really just showed how you can look at what you have and what you don't have. And any of us, whoever we are. There's going to be things that we have and what we don't have. And in that moment, Homer was was trying to do his very best to say, you know, hey, I got elbows. I'm lucky. And meanwhile, here we are looking at at Homer, who doesn't have any hands, who's, you know, got to have somebody tuck him in at night, you know, and take a cigarette out of his mouth, you know, because they've already taken off the, the prosthetics to say goodnight. Um, that's a great film. Um, the Bold and the Beautiful. I think uh, was Kirk Douglas from 1948. And that's, that's about, you know, making movies in Hollywood and, and good people and evil people. And all that, that's a great one. And then one last one, I have to say this one last one, uh, as far as film noir goes out of the past is with Robert Mitchum, Jane Greer. And I think maybe even Kirk Douglas is in that one too, but that's a great film noir. That's to me, you know, maybe even more, you know, it's less well-known, certainly, than The Maltese Falcon, but it's that's a great film. Uh, what TV shows are you currently watching? Uh, I'm still trying to catch an episode now and again of Bosch, but that's, you know, that's a heavier show. So I, you can't, you know, to me, it's not like a binge-watching show. The show I wish they would have had more episodes of, but they don't, is Fleabag. That was wonderful. The second season was even better than the first, and... That was a real joy, but uh, I, I like that one quite a bit. And final thing, favorite moment of your career? Oh, God, that, that's that's a really hard one. You know, that's, it, it makes the, the what's my favorite film, you know, seem easy. But the favorite moment might have been surviving the first time I was ever on Broadway. And the reason it was such a, a moment of achievement was that I was an understudy. And I wasn't even at my house. I was at my then girlfriend's place where she was watching somebody else's really nice apartment over on, I think, like Sutton Place. This is over on the east side in New York. Really nice. And so somehow I've gotten in touch. Been, you know, my roommate, God bless her, somehow finds the number to this place, which I think she was she literally had to dig to the trash can. And finds this number, calls, and it's funny because I'm there with Julie, and Julie picks up the phone because why would I pick up the phone? I'm mean, we're over at you know Barbara's apartment, and she she picks up the phone and she says it's for you, <laughs> and I go oh shit, and I pick up the phone and and it's my roommate Kelly. She goes hey Vince, you got to call the theater right now. I think you're going on today. Call him right now. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, shit. And this is like this is a Saturday, probably at like, I don't know, maybe 10 in the morning. And sure enough, I call the theater and they say, hey, you got to get here right now. Um, Peter can't go on. He was mugged last night and, and he's got a broken nose. So you've got to get on over here right now. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, so I go home. I take a cab home as fast as I can. I get my script. I, I go up to the 46th Street Theater and we start running scenes with you know the guy who plays you know because i play stanley in in brighton beach memoirs 
And so I, I was I was working with with the guy who was playing Eugene. And then also there was there was a, an actor there, a great guy, Dick Latessa. And Dick, talk about when they kind of go cool as a cucumber. Dick was as cool as a cucumber. He was uh, nervous about nothing. At least, you know, by the time I joined the show, he was nervous about nothing. Anyway, I ran scenes with him. I ran scenes with Nikki. And, oh, my God, I was just, my heart was pounding, pounding, pounding. Before I even went on the stage, I said, you know, here I am talking to myself about ready. I'm literally in the wings thinking to myself, why the hell did you ever want to become an actor? Why do you do this? Why do you do this? You're <laughs> here I am beating myself up before I'm about to go on stage. And so when I was able to do the whole show and get through the whole show, I think it was just this achievement of like, oh, my God, I didn't think I could climb this mountain. And lo and behold, here I am at the top. And only to know that, of course, I was going to have to do another show, you know, in about three hours or something or maybe four hours because it was a Saturday and there was the matinee and then there was the evening show. But, you know, in some ways that was that was the greatest achievement because it, it allowed me to just say, wow, I did that. I can't believe I did that. So anyway. Amazing. Well, this was a lot of fun, Vince. Thank you so much for joining us today. You had so many great stories about your time on Seinfeld and we really appreciate sharing it with us. Well, it was it was my pleasure. And uh, thanks for you know including me in the podcast. And uh, it was just a joy. Well, thank you. Yeah, so much. It was a joy for us as well. Great. Thanks, guys. Be well. Thanks. You Take too. care. Take Have care. A good one. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at the place to be Seinfeld at gmail.com. You can also find our show on Facebook at The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast, Twitter at TPTB Seinfeld, and Instagram at The Place to Be podcast. You can find our show on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like, please rate and review. It really helps us out. Until next time, be sure to hang up your pants for the perfect crease. Elaine, you're taking this totally the wrong way. That's not what I intended. Well, what did you intend, Hal? I just wanted you to have the comfort and support you deserve. That's why I had the mattress custom designed for you. Custom designed? They adjust the foam density and the spring tension to your body type. I estimated your height and weight, 5'8", about 110 pounds. Oh, well, that is the nicest thing anyone has ever done for me. So you do like the mattress? Oh, I love it. I'm glad I kept it. <laughs>